I'm JXM Lipka and welcome to this edition of our 2016 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program, Taking Calculated Chances to Build Your Precision Business, is once again being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. Subscribing will allow you to get an alert about upcoming episodes when they're released. And again, we'd like to thank Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow the opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at farmersedgeusa.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. I think it's fair to say that innovation is a common trait among precision farming professionals. Whether it's finding an original solution to equipment compatibility or crafting a service platform uniquely tailored to customer needs. But there are also those in the precision business who are calculated risk takers, looking to capitalize on niche opportunities before they reach the mainstream. Might be hard to think this way today especially at a time when many dealers are content to ride out the downturn in the egg economy with a conservative business approach. But regardless of market conditions, or perhaps even in spite of them, a willingness to recognize opportunities disguised as adversity is a valuable intuition. This according to Jim Strader, owner of New Holland Rochester, a seven-location dealership group based in Rochester, Indiana. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, brought to you by Farmer's Edge, we welcome Jim in to share his experience and advice for creating a successful standalone precision farming business. So uh, this is going to be about establishing a standalone precision business. I, I think um, you know, uh, the, the speakers have been very candid and a great diversity. And that's, that's why I say this is a great conference. I'm really pleased to be able to be a part of it. But um, I don't think that the precision, precision industry is given the credit it really deserves. And I think as times are getting tougher, um, it's more important to get every benefit out of every square inch of the field. And, and that's where precision comes in at. So give yourselves a little bit of credit. Uh, you, uh, so you so you're not shoved into the parts department or the service department. I think Mr. Du Bois was talking about a little bit a little bit ago. Um, you're a valuable part of what is going on. So this is our investment in in, in an independent uh, business and uh, one that we expect to be profitable uh, short term and long term. Uh, so I started out in 1984 as a store manager in Indiana. For those of you, especially those of you who are younger. Let me uh, assure you that in the adversity that 
low prices are bringing right now, there are going to be plenty of opportunities. That's what happened to me. Uh, the dealership that I was calling on as a New Holland rep went broke. My dad was a dealer, incidentally, in Illinois, so I grew up in, in the business. Dealership went broke. The company decided to put a company store in there. My second son had just been born. I wanted to get off of the road, so I took the job of managing it. Ford Motor Company bought New Holland from Sperry in uh, 1986, and Ford Motor Company said, no company stores, we have dealer development stores. It's kind of the same thing, so they came to me and said, you can buy the place or you're out of a job. Well, some people would say, that's, that's a horrible day. For me, that was a dream come true. So you got to look at those opportunities that are going to come because of adversity. They're, they are going to be well disguised. Trust me, you won't see it for what it's going to turn out to be. So little word of advice. One thing about it, you know, I'm 65 years old in a week, so I've, I've had the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes and, and, uh, and learn from them. Somebody said something about that earlier. You know, you, you learn when you make a mistake. You don't really learn anything when you're successful. So when I talked about Dr. Krill's presentation last night, maybe some collaboration, you remember that bell curve that was up there, and he said you want to be over on, the, on his bell curve over on the far right. Well, uh, he pointed to a spot on the bell curve that was maybe 25% of the way to the right. Well, I want to be in that 5% on the right. It's just the way I think. Uh, you don't get anywhere if you don't take some chances, and that's got a lot to do with why Ag Technologies is what it is. So we don't want to be just an ordinary dealership. I'm going to do more than that. So I've got a couple of patents on this device here that uh, it's a corn roar, and part of the reason that that's here, I like Mr. Du Bois's comment about global warming. I have some friends up in, in Canada who um, think that may be a good thing, and he kind of mentioned that. So um, it, it's, it, it's out there, and with the Paris Accord a couple of weeks ago, our world is changing. And I think that in Precision Ag, we have real opportunity to be a significant player in controlling things like the carbon in the air and so forth. Uh, one of the things that if the Canadians get to grow corn, you're going to learn is that there's just as much dry matter in the non-grain part of the plant as there is in the grain. Yet what do we do? We go out there with a combine and we put it back on the ground and we spend 30 bucks an acre tilling it back in. So there's a great opportunity there. So it's well disguised. You know, people don't recognize driving down the road that there's opportunity laying on the field. Well, that's going to change too. And it seemed to me a number of years ago that there had to be a better way to do it. And that's where this effort with the corn rower all came about. Uh, corn stover will humble you, I can tell you that. But uh, it won't be too long. Uh, you'll see a lot of ethanol and a lot of chemicals coming from corn stover. It's opportunity for all of us in ag, especially, uh, I think, in precision farming in particular. I have another patent that has to do with, well, that's actually two patents, have to do with multiple hybrid planters. Again, well-disguised opportunity. And again, in precision farming, you have the tools right there in front of you to take advantage of problems and turn them into opportunities. You see, with multiple hybrid planting, we can get more corn per acre without adding one ounce of fertilizer or one square inch of land. We just have to put the right seed in the right place. And I recognize that some years ago, worked on its technology, and um, right now the precision planting uh, model and the Kinsey model is just two varieties. This one will do three, four, whatever you want to do. It's the next generation. So think about those opportunities in precision farming. There's more opportunities than, than in just setting up your own standalone business. But I mention all of this because you have to have that kind of a mindset if you're going to get someplace. Remember what Dr. Krill said. You don't want to be under that high part of that bell curve. You want to be over there on that right end. So think in those terms.
Another thing that we have done, and this is why Dr. Cri uh, Mr. Cri uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Morris's comment yesterday about cash flow. So if you have a standalone business, and I'll show you in a little bit what our liabilities were, you know, what were you thinking? Adding, uh, say, a separate parts person, you have a separate building, you got to heat the thing, and so on and so forth. How are you going to pay for all of that? The banker, it seems, wants to be paid, so I, you know, have to figure out how you're going to get that done. Well, we have used ag technologies uh, in a couple of ways, and Spud will talk about what he does on a day-to-day -day basis, but Spud is a store manager. He is on the same level as, say, our store manager at our Bluffton, Indiana store, which is a full-blown tractors, combines. It's, it's an ag equipment business, so we treat it uh, that way. But we use it as a way to have other things that we can sell that maybe don't necessarily fit in with a full-blown uh, ag equipment business, and the solar sales is one of those things. Um, I mentioned that as part of the business thing. I also mentioned it in the term that I want all of you to think about opportunities going forward. They don't have to be the conventional things that you have been doing and your dads did and your granddads did. Chisels going through the ground, sprayers spraying chemicals and stuff on the top and all that sort of thing. There are other opportunities in renewable energy, especially in solar, our customers have access to the wind and the sun. And that looked like an opportunity. It was well disguised. Other people were doing it. We thought it was all out in California, Arizona, not the case. Uh, if you're from Saskatchewan, um, take advantage of, um, of the sun you have out there. It's a great place to be. <laughs> so on to the specifics of this presentation, the timeline on Precision Ag at New Holland, Rochester. So back in 2010, we were just four stores. As I said, uh, 1987 is when Ford Motor Company said, you can uh, buy the place or you're out of a job. So we went along to 94. We bought our, what was then a second location, 97. Um, we got our third location. And in 2008, we bought the Bluffton store with our fourth location. So this uh, ag, uh, precision uh, farm business ag technologies was our fifth location. And we had a diverse customer base uh, because of our New Holland, um, that's our primary line. Um, we have a, a good customer base in the livestock industry. I grew up in Clinton County, Illinois. It was, at the time at least, the largest dairy county in the state of Illinois. So making hay and milking cows, all that sort of thing was just, you know, part of my background. So that as a dealer, um, you know, we worked on that part of it. So that was our diverse customer base. The livestock industry, of course, you would know, it was not as quick to need the auto steer and a lot of things that's changed now. We we sell um, variable rate manure spreaders and so on and so forth. It's it's uh, come on board, but back in 2010 that just wasn't the case. So it wasn't quite the same as if we were more of a cash crop uh, dealership. Uh, precision equipment was a small part of our business. Um, Y'all remember the little sponge wheel on the easy steer, <laughs> and the steering column would shake, and then you'd be off track a little bit, and they'd have to get you back on. You know, at the time it's the best that we had. Well, we were selling some of those and putting them on the tractors and we'd take the phone calls so I don't know how to do an AB line and you'd go out and help the guy and how to get charged for it. And one of the nice things about this conference here that are interesting things is well, it doesn't matter where you're at, how do you bill for that phone call? It seems to be a common thread all the way through. So when somebody figures that out, you know, please get, get it to the rest of us. Um, great ideas on how to get that done, of course. But, but today we're seven stores and precision farming is, a, uh, is standard equipment. Um, as has been mentioned before, you know, back when we would get a tractor in and then you would add the auto steer. Today, it's, it's not only standard equipment, it's like if you didn't have it, you know, it's not a tractor, 
yeah, it's almost as necessary and expected as wheels. So we looked at the assets and the liabilities that, um, uh, of doing a separate business. You see, Spud was our trained technician, our best trained technician at the Rochester stores, and he was kind of helping out the other techs and helping out the other stores and all that sort of thing. Uh, of course, he'd had some training with the, um, uh, he's a graduate of Purdue University, so you know had the background uh, as much as anybody had, but, but it was just a hodgepodge deal. And I was pretty sure, and so was Spud and some of the others in our organiza organization, that what did happen, precision farming, you know, is a main part of our ag industry now. It's, it's just, just part of that that was going to happen. But back then, before 2010, people said that was going to happen, but you weren't sure that that was going to happen. So from a business standpoint, what do we do? Do we just add another couple of techs at the store? And train them, and uh, they might be working on a combine uh, rotor uh, in the morning and, and uh, putting in an easy steer in the afternoon. That's kind of what was going on, and, and um, it just didn't seem like that was really a, a long-term plan. So the assets that we had going for us had a good existing customer base. We were successful. We'd grown you know, from a single store. Uh, the 80s uh, got behind us. Uh, times got better. Um, we were now up to four stores and, and we were trucking right along and business was growing and so forth. So we had, we had a good base. Uh, the one key tech, of course, as I said, was Spud. Um, they had some experience and so forth. The Apache sprayer opportunity uh, had come along uh, for us um, about that time. So how were we going to do that? Um, you know, uh, you want to do one thing as well as you can, um, hopefully very well. And, uh, you know, how do you train a guy to sell a tractor or set a combine and also be an expert on an Apache sprayer? Um, and then the New Holland sprayer line, there was rumors at the time about Miller sprayers and New Holland getting together. But, you know, we didn't know for sure what was going to happen. Um, but we had um, all that to add to our legacy lines. The, we had Ag Leader Trimble and New Holland Precision Equipment available to us. Um, obviously not at the level that it is today, but, but that's, that's what we were doing. Um, one of the things that happened that may have made our decision a little bit easier or made it happen a little bit quicker is we built a store in 1988, outgrew that, and built another store in 2001, 150 feet away. That's what you got to have for the fire code. <laughs> that's what we know. That's what it is. So the uh, Polaris dealership that was in that building with the economy crashing in 2008, that kind of industry really had a tough time. They decided they had enough of, um, of what they were doing and uh, the lease, uh, you know, was terminated, so that building became available. So it, it seemed like, you know, uh, maybe things were telling us what we should do. Had liabilities. Uh, everybody in this room would know that if you set up a separate business, whether it's next door or down the street or whatever, you're going to have more costs. It's just the way it is. The, the heating and cooling and maintenance and everything of the building. Uh, if you're going to have a parts department in there, uh, we can't integrate that with our regular parts people and so forth. So we got more personnel. Needed from everything from phone duty to part sales and so forth. Um, there was a liability, I thought, in um, confusing the customers. So especially if we were next door, if they needed precision farming, they bought the tractor at the New Holland dealership, had the steering system in it, got a problem with it, you'd think they'd come back to the New Holland store, right? Well, that wasn't our plan. I mean, if it may be something very simple, it would be a blown hose or whatever, but if it's a precision farming question, we wanted them to go to ag technologies. So I saw that as a, as a liability. 
doing a separate business uh, to service the outlying stores uh, still wasn't going to provide, say, Bluffton, for example, is an hour and a half away from Rochester. Well, if a Bluffton customer has a problem, he bought this tractor at Bluffton, he expects service at Bluffton, and they can't hardly say, well, call Ag Technologies, they're an hour and a half away, they may be another hour and a half on the other side, helping the customer over there, and they'll get to you when, when they can, well, that wasn't going to work. So we had to consider that we were still going to have to have trained technicians if precision farming was going to become what it is at, for example, the Bluffton store. So that was a liability for having a standalone business. Maybe we should just, you know, do our regular techs, have, have them trained and, um, and um, just do it the, in a conventional way. Now, this was my key decision point. So we're a New Holland dealership in the cash crop business. We are not the dominant player. It's just the way it is. Um, we recognize that. So our customers had to uh, say, okay, this precision farming stuff is coming on. Is New Holland, Rochester, or Tri-County Equipment is our Bluffton store, for example. You know, are they going to be able to keep up with the technology? And if I buy this tractor, if I buy this combine and now sprayer, are they going to have the, the uh, wherewithal, the expertise, the training and the manpower and everything to take care of that? So... Um, it was back in 1998, um, 99, I can't remember exactly when the case and New Holland merger went together. That's when we were outgrowing that first store. So you wanted to talk about a um, decision that you have to really make that wasn't easy. Yeah, so I was planning to build this other store. This case IH thing came along. We went from selling, um, we had like a 20-some percent market share with the Genesis tractor. We lost that. We didn't sell a single high horsepower tractor in 16 months. Our sales never dropped in that time. We sold something else. That's just how we think. But I had to decide whether to build a building or not. And I decided, you know, I'm going to be in this business um, one way or the other. I'll figure out something to do to went ahead with. My customers responded to what they saw happening, that I made that commitment to build the building in spite of what everybody knew was an uncertainty about what was going to happen going forward. There's a lot of unknowns. So I took that experience into consideration with the decision to go to a standalone business with the precision farming uh, industry. We'll rejoin Jim's discussion here in a moment, but I did want to again thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow the opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or give them a call at 952-582-1398. Well, having visited Jim at his New Holland dealership in Rochester soon after he opened the doors of Ag Technologies, it was very clear that he was committed to setting apart the precision business from the farm equipment side. 
And one of the things that struck me was that while the two independent stores were physically only a few hundred feet from each other, there was a definite push to have Ag Technologies define its own identity with farm customers. As Jim notes, this effort starts with ownership and top management adopting the mindset that they want to be viewed as serious, committed precision dealers. Establishing this mentality from the outset can go a long way toward keeping employees motivated and focused on the same goal. Let's get back to the program and hear more from Jim Strader on some of the early financial successes and logistical challenges he faced when setting up an independent precision business. Talked about the differences, uh, say from Canada to North Dakota to um, uh, it was uh, Mr. Norris was in Ohio, I think, uh, 30 acre fields or something. So a lot of diversity in the room. So a standalone business may not be for everybody, but I don't really know how the industry in a particular dealership is going to get the respect for what you do if you are hidden in everybody else's uh, bailiwick, uh, the combine technicians and so on and so forth. Decision you have to make for yourself, but this is what we decided to do. It had something to do with money. It has something to do with the pragmatic things like space, the service level, and so on and so forth. But the decision that I made was that we were going to show ourselves and our customers that we were dead serious about the precision farming business and the potential that it had going forward. Uh, we were going to give it that kind of recognition way back in 2010. So that's what we did. We started out in 2011, and here's what has happened. So the sales of Precision Ag went from something that we really didn't account for. I forget which of the speakers it was here um, this morning. You know, mentioned that. You know, how do you build that? And then, and of course, the parts uh, on our parts departments at the other stores sell Precision Ag stuff too, of course. So those numbers don't go to Ag Technologies, and that's fine with us. But we can track it by um, the way the part system is set up. But so we didn't account for it, so now it's a million dollars worth of business just at Ag Technologies. We continue to use Ag Technologies as a special item store in our group. So Spud will talk about that. I won't um, uh, steal his thunder or whatever, but um, if you have a problem at, say, the Bluffton store with a precision farming issue and they can't solve it, then Ag Technologies is their next step. So we talked at the one of the, the roundtable I was in yesterday about what the manufacturers can do, and of course, um, we, you know, we go inside our own cells first to see if we can get to the next level, and if that don't work, we can go to the next level. So it's a huge support thing within our group, but it's also a huge support thing in the eyes of the customer. So if I sell a tractor to somebody, and of course, you know, the bank and I, I always tell everybody who really owns the business, they, they say you own seven stores. No, the bank and I own seven stores. That's how it is. But I couldn't put, I don't think I could put a uh, nav controller in a tractor. If I had to, a, I could read the book and I'd get it done. But I just just have that go to Ag Technologies or to our own shop. And then, of course, they got to charge it to the deal and everything. But um, the customers know at Bluffton and uh, uh, Rossville, wherever, you know, one of the other stores, that if there's an issue there that they can't handle, this goes beyond precision farming, of course, that there's backup with the other stores. So it, it's... It's a um, being a part of the group, and yet we have individuality within it. So we parted ways with Apache 
but we had Dalton application equipment. New Holland Sprayers did come along as an OEM agreement with Miller, and then New Holland bought the Miller Sprayer line, so that's worked out well for us. Uh, FPT is Fiat Powertrain Technologies engines. That's what are used in our tractors and the combine and stuff. Well, they, they have a separate contract for just the engines, uh, so we're an FPT dealer. Uh, we just had a pre precision drone and, of course, the solar uh, thing I was talking about there, and that's to get enough cash flow. And then Spud can tell you, within the organization, he has people dedicated to each of these, um, each, each of these um, brands. Uh, the solar business, my youngest son, Michael, that's all he does. He's located in the Ag Technologies company because it's different, and uh, that's why we took it over there, but it also adds cash flow to the business. So here's the numbers. Um, the one is 2011. It says sales in 2012 and 14. I didn't have the year-end 15 numbers when I did this. I uh, knew about where they were going to be. So uh, 4 million in the first full year of 2012, we really had it accounted for. Went up a little bit, and it's gone back down. Um, of course, it has something to do with the price of grain as far as things going back down. However, we have moved out more of the business out to the remote stores. Uh, at the same time, so I don't think our overall precision uh, farming business is going down. In fact, I, I see the low grain prices. I, I really see that as an opportunity for the precision business. We can make money out of this adversity. So that's what's happened with the uh, sales. So the, the 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 is 11 through 15, okay? So if you look at the presentations that Jack's going to put on the web, uh, that, that's what's going on there. Our parts numbers, and of course we were selling, most of this stuff goes through the parts divisions, and you see a steady decline in the parts sales. I don't see that as a negative because our parts business in precision at the other stores is going up. So the overall business is better, but um, at Ag Technologies it's going down. It's just part of the uh, maturing of the, of the industry. And of course profit is where I always want to concentrate. The bank, it seems, doesn't take market share for a check. They want a check. So while the companies, and I'm sure you guys and gals all run into it, what's your market share in tractors and combines or whatever, precision egg? Well, that's fine. It's a good measuring stick, but you got to make money. So uh, 2014, for example, you see 35,000. That's just at egg technologies. I had the accounting people tell me what was our precision egg business profit with parts service sales at the other stores and ag put together, and it's like $200,000. So it's a significant part of our business. Um, it's not the major part of the business, I guess, as far as that part goes, but we have to be in it because it's part of the landscape, but we have to make money at it. Um, the 2005 number is just ag technologies. So I don't know what the number is for the other stores. I didn't calculate it, but... Um, you need, to, you need to know that as the um, owner of the business who has the bank as his partner, that that's a big number for me, especially in the economy that we're dealing in right now. I mean, you know, cash crop stuff is down, what, 30 35%? I can't remember, some number like that from 2014. So I am really happy that we made the decision that we did to go to the standalone business, that we can measure it separately, that we treat it with the respect I think it deserves. But from a business standpoint, we treat it as a standalone, separate uh, part of what we do. Customer perception is a huge item. Again, has a little bit to do with the uh, New Holland brand and the cash crop and the history and the livestock and grassland, you know, first in grassland farming was the motto of the mantra for New Holland for years and years. And, and it's just what it is. So the outlying stores have on-staff trained technicians. I'll let Spud talk about uh, what's all going on there. But 
Ag technology supports those texts with, for problem solving. Uh, ag technology supports the sales um, departments at all of the stores. Uh, we have questions that come up. So the uh, last phone call I took before I headed down the road yesterday to come down here was from a guy at Lafayette had bought a new 115 horsepower tractor from Rossville. And he's asking me if there is a way we can put a system on his tractor to drive it from the wagon. And I said, what do you mean drive it from the wagon? I didn't quite understand. He said, well, I have a small square baler and I'm tired of trying to find help that can drive the tractor. I want to load the bales on the wagon and steer the tractor at the same time. That's what people are thinking about. <laughs> I, I really want to say, now, come on, you got 40 acres of hay, give me a break here. We'll sell you a packaging, packaging program for the bales and all that sort of thing. But that's not what I said. I said, well, if, you know, it's an intriguing idea. I'm going to a precision farming conference. I will see what's out there, and I'll get back to you. But, but the customer perception, I believe, is that we can do anything anybody else can do. And if you have an idea that's off of the beaten track, you won't get laughed at by bringing it to someone in our group. That's the image we want to project, and I, I think we have had some success in getting that done. But it, it, was, um, it was an interesting phone conversation. I will call the guy back and say, I'm sorry, <laughs> but there was nobody there. Let me sell you a bail accumulation system. So customers see our effort to give precision ag the respect it, uh, it deserves in a very positive light. Would we do it again? Yes. There's absolutely no question in my mind that we would do this again. And I say that, I guess, tongue-in-cheek. If you think it has been a perfectly smooth road, I have given you the wrong impression. Uh, Spud can talk about, if he wants to, you know, some of the issues, everything from how do we bill. Uh, the, uh, who was the last speaker who said the pushback from the sales department, you know, and the, and the uh, uh, service um, contract uh, issues? Yeah, they're all there. The standalone business won't solve that for you, okay? Just so you know, it's not being, not, not being just a, a smooth track all the way up. Uh, to, to where we're at today, but, uh, but I do believe that unless and until you somehow set yourself up as a standalone entity, whether you're within the physical building that you're in now, somehow if you can do that, I don't know, it's kind of going to be kind of tough. Um, but as long as you just treat yourself as um, maybe the combine specialist that you have or the spare specialist that you have and you're just within the whole group, you're never going to get the respect uh, and the position I think Precision Ag really, really should have. So that's everything that I uh, have to talk about. Again, thanks so very much for the opportunity to uh, present uh, uh, here. It's been a great conference. Do you have any agronomists on staff? And if not, do you intend to add any? Uh, the, easy, the easy one, of course, is uh, no, we don't have any on, on staff. And, uh, we have a very strong co-op uh, in our area, North Central Co-op, not to mention um, some precision planting dealers who also have uh, agro agronomic services. So we work with them. Um, there are um, bigger fish um, out there and lower hanging fruit to, to work on, so I don't see that happening. When one of Jim's whole goods salesmen sells a tractor or a combine and it, uh, he wants to include technology, does he have the expertise, does your group provide the expertise to provide that quote or do they pull you in to try and provide the quote? We, we rely on Spud a lot, <laughs> you know, especially guys, guys like me. I mean, I, I, I sold three tractors the last week of uh, 2015 and it, it occurred to me that um, by the grace of God, it, they all had the right stuff on. That never happens. 
So if a customer says, I want RTK, RTX, and I see on my invoice it's set up for WAS from the factory, it's got the NAV controller on it, I don't want to know what to charge that customer. I get a quote from Spud or one of the guys, whatever, I put it on the deal sheet. I'm going to pay Ag Technologies X number of dollars, whatever their quote was. So they they are a sister division, but we, I mean, there's a line between us, so we, we bill and pay accordingly. It, it works really well. Uh, just a comment to start out with, you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways is you recognized in a down market that uh, there's there's hidden opportunities that present themselves, and that is that's huge. I admire that. Um, I'm wondering if you can expand a little bit on two points. You had a slide on capturing Stouffer and uh, biofuels and how commodity prices in oil is affecting that. What do you, what percentage of your business is that, and where, just kind of where do you see that going? Uh, well, it's a great question, and um, it's. Um you know, the opportunity that is out there in my, in my mind is just huge. I mean, how can anybody or any industry or society overlook the potential that's out there? But but we are. We put it back on the ground. We pay to till it in. So I can tell you that corn stover will humble you. There's a plant in Emmitsburg, Iowa, that is stopped right now because they're putting a new part of the plant together. It's a poet plant. Try to get it to work. The DuPont plant that had the grand opening two weeks ago in Nevada, Iowa, is two years behind schedule. And the uh, plant in Epigoa Scott in Hugoton, Kansas, the company declared bankruptcy last month globally. It's not just that plant. So there's a, it's a rocky road. Uh, I can tell you from, um, if there's anybody here from the Hawkeye State, Iowa State University, um, uh, those guys should go to heaven for what they put into uh, trying to commercialize corn stover. Uh, it's going to happen. Uh, and, um, and when it does, it's going to affect our business. There's a study going on at Purdue right now that has to do with the carbon impact of stover and the difference if you feed it or use it in fuel as opposed to uh, using fossil fuels or in the case of feed, um, you know, using the silage instead of uh, going to stover out. Dr. Wally Tyner is doing that study and it's, um, he told me, he said it is going to surprise a heck of a lot of people. So I think it's, it's definitely is part of our future. So at the moment, um, it's just a lot of missionary work, quite frankly. People think that corn stover is dirty, has rocks in it, and that's what my machine has everything to do with. you got to keep the ash out of it. So as far as the precision farming end of it goes, um, there was a study by the, uh, by the uh, National Lab of, uh, in uh, Idaho uh, showed a field in Iowa where within 100 feet, you were agronomically, you were supposed to go from leaving all the stover to taking all of the stover. And I, I saw that presentation, and that's when I, you know, I moved way up on my radar screen, the possibility of changing that on to go. So I got that working. I don't think I could sell it today for free because people don't understand the need for it yet, but it's coming. Um, the carbon, global warming, uh, it's, it's a big issue. Um, it's controversial. You can get into an argument. So um, politics, um, religion, tire brands, and now how much corn stover to remove from the field I avoid. Jim, thank you for all for that. That was great. Uh, there's another slide that you had up there which I found really interesting, and that was the diversification into solar. And maybe you could just expand on how you got into that. Diversification, I think, for everybody is, a, is you know, a scary topic because there's been a big, we need to focus, focus, focus. And uh, you throw in a diversification slide like that, um, 
it's important and just maybe expand on that a little bit. Hey, how much time do we have? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Spud will tell you that, you know, I'm just a nerd when it comes to renewable energy. It's just something I've been interested in for a long, long time. And I don't care if you're from, I think Saskatchewan is the furthest way I've heard here and I've heard Ohio. So we have a lot of North America covered on Ontario. I heard that one. So, um, Generally speaking, if you draw a line from the state of Maine over to San Diego, California, the closer you get to San Diego, the more radiation energy there is. But I can tell you that in Indiana, which we are not a sunny state, Mark Mark would take it. Nobody gets their bathing suit out and comes here for the sun, right, Mark? So we are getting as much energy from the sun per installed kilowatt in Indiana as they are in California. That will surprise a lot of people. And if you're from Minnesota, North Dakota, um, up into the Canadian provinces, you have a lot of energy out there. Now, the low price of oil is going to impact that, but the carbon factor and the Paris Accord a couple of weeks ago is going to mitigate a whole lot of um, the production, overproduction, if you will, of uh, fossil fuels. So um, if you're looking, whether it's precision farming or you're, yourself personally in, at another business, um, Trust me, there's opportunity in solar. Uh, you got to know what you're doing. Um, there's a library here in Indiana that has a solar system that was installed by the same company that did the airport solar. So how many people flew into Indianapolis Airport and you saw the solar system, didn't you? Surprised? Impressed? 75 acres. The solar system at this library made half of the energy per installed kilowatt as two of my systems up at Rochester in 2015. The production at the library is on the web, so I track it. So um, the reason we can get the energy here in Indiana is the ground mount system is well ventilated and it's tiltable in the southern sky using microinverters and a quality panel. Now that may be Greek to a lot of people, but see me afterwards, I'll explain how that all works. You, you got to know what you're doing. There's no different in precision farming or, um, you know, fixing a, a uh, engine or what, you better know what you're doing. So. But yeah, there's opportunity, and you give me a downturn, and I will give you opportunity. It opens up doors. As you talk about staff, think about staffing, and talk about it. You know, you're you're now staffing precision-minded people for two businesses. You know, you've got your seven locations for your dealer equipment dealership, and then however many additional uh, specialists or technicians related to precision. At Ag Tech, how do you how do you manage that, and how do you find enough people to just physically fill those roles and be knowledgeable at what they're doing? I think I think we would have the same headcount. I'm glad you can you can talk. I think we'd have the same headcount if we didn't have a standalone business. I think that the um, finding the the personnel and retaining the personnel and all that would be um, the same. Although I do think that there's some people identified with ag technologies that like that autonomy. Thank you, Jim, for sharing your model for building a standalone precision business, one which will no doubt continue to evolve and improve and those listeners who would like to see more of Jim's presentation mentioned during the program today, 
please visit www.precisionfarmingdealer.com slash podcasts. And once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. An interesting takeaway for me from today's program is the value of customer perception. And Jim acknowledged the risk he took when setting up Ag Technologies, but he did so with conviction, knowing that on an annual basis, having an independent precision dealership would breed confidence among a growing base of farm customers. While this may not always translate to an immediate increase in revenue, there are certainly intangible rewards to building a positive reputation as a precision authority. Well, again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. And feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And you can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. I hope that you'll join us again on August 4th for our next episode in our 2016 podcast series, Getting to Know Your Market for Data Management Service, where Phil Moskal, Integrated Solutions Manager with MidState Equipment, will share his best practices for defining goals and setting expectations with a data management service platform. For Jim Strader, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening.